welcome to theories of the third kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of your hosts. There are two other hosts that are joining me today, of course. Anna. What's up? And Danielson. Yo, guys. So before we start today's episode, I just want to say, like always, we do not run any ads on this show or take any money from any corporations. So if you'd like to help us out, then there's a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. For only $5 a month, which is 16 cents a day, you can sign up to our Patreon and get an extra episode each week. These Patreon episodes are exclusive to members only. Today we released a Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over Lost Treasures. Also, we have several more episodes already locked and loaded for your listening pleasure, such as the Ouija board, Giants, Glitches in the Matrix, the 1985 Philadelphia bombing, Nexium Cult, Disney Darkness, Isaac Cappy, McMartin's Satanic Preschool, Clinton Body Count, FEMA, and much more. In total, as of today, we have over 24 extra Patreon episodes and a ton of extra blooper reels, which you get access to all of them for just five bucks a month. Another way to support the show is through merchandise. Just teleport on over to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click the shop button. Then you can see all the merchandise we have for sale. T-shirts, hats, hoodies, all that good stuff. I just want to say that the money that we get from Patreon and our merchandise goes to bettering the show. Also, I know things are tough out there right now, so if you can't afford a shirt or Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes, and that helps us out a ton. If you don't want to leave one, though, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, Sensei Lawrences, whoever or whatever you are, to enjoy the show. Also, one last thing. If any of you would like to reach out to us, then you can shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or you can go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click the contact button, and there you will find our email addresses. So today's episode is over the Oak Island Mystery. So how this episode will go today is that we will first cover what is the Oak Island Mystery, and then we will go over the history of the island itself and what happened on it, and then we'll roll into strange facts and findings, followed by theories, and then, of course, wrap it all up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. All right, so I'll tell you guys. This has been a mystery for over the past 200 years. Treasure hunters from all over the world have been going to a small island off the shore of Nova Scotia, and it's called Oak Island. Rumors of an enormous buried treasure containing things such as Shakespearean manuscripts, the Ark of the Covenant, and riches beyond one's wildest dreams are said to be hidden on this island. However, every time someone gets close to finding this treasure, disaster occurs. There is said to be a curse placed on it, which had originated more than a century ago. It states that seven men will die in the search for the treasure before it is found. To date, six men have died in their efforts to find it. So, 
there is a lot of mystery behind this. And I think that it'd be really good if we started to talk about just the basics. What's the island? How big is it? Let's, let's just go over there first. And then we'll dig into the history. And I think, Dan, you would do an amazing job at starting us off, my friend. All right. Oak Island is a small 140-acre island measuring approximately almost a mile long by half a mile wide with a 600-foot causeway, which is just a road that connects the island to the mainland. Like Anna mentioned earlier, the island is located just off of the shore in Nova Scotia, and it is approximately 45 minutes from Halifax. All right, so now that we know about the island, I say let's get into the history of it and the treasure and how it all began. And this is a really long, uh, this is a really long history, but it is super interesting. Some crazy shit happens. You know, they should make a TV show about this. <laughs> oh yeah, I think so really too. Should. Really, I mean, it could be at least five seasons. All right, so this all starts back in 1795 with an individual named Daniel McGinnis. So he was outside, chilling at his parents' house, and he observed some strange-looking lights that were on the shore of Oak Island. This struck him as odd, and he decided to go to the island to see what they were. Well, upon arriving there, he started walking around and exploring the island itself. He came across a block-and-tackle hoist that was suspended on an old tree. So directly below this hoist was a large depression of loose soil in the ground. This sparked his interest because he had heard uh, some locals talk about stories of pirates burying their treasure on Oak, Oak Island. So Daniel didn't have any equipment with him, so he decided to leave the island and tell his two friends about what just happened and what he saw. They were like, hey, let's go back there. So they all decided to return to the old oak tree where the large depression of loose soil was. And they began digging. Now, uh, just kind of for future reference, when we talk about, and I quote, the money pit, this is what we're referring to. Just a little FYI for the future. Okay, so the three men start digging, and uh, at a depth of four feet, they come across a layer of flagstones. Now, if you don't know what flagstones are, they're basically just a flat stone that is sometimes cut in rectangular or square shapes. Uh, they're usually used for walkways, patios, flooring. Uh, back in the day, they were also used for like, building roofs and walls for houses. And this is like 1300 to 1400 is when they were used for that. And it was 1795 then when he found those. So, so that's what they found at four feet was a layer of those flagstones. So they decided to keep digging. And at 10 feet they came across a platform constructed of oak logs, charcoal, coconut fiber, and putty. Now, they were able to move this oak platform and decided to keep digging. At 20 feet down, they again encountered another platform of oak logs, charcoal, coconut fiber, and putty. Just like the one found at 10 feet, they were able to move the logs and continue on. At 30 feet, they came across another platform, also constructed of oak logs. However, this platform was a lot bigger and impossible to remove. Daniel and his three friends abandoned the project and went back to the mainland. Over the next few years, Daniel and his two friends continued to discuss the pit. They wondered what treasure may be there. Yeah, and you know they had to bug them because finding these logs oh, yeah. and digging so much by hand, thinking, man, there has to be something down there. 
Wait, they were digging by hand? Well, like shovels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. By hand, yeah, they were just going down there crawling, crawling up the <laughs> ground. Oh, my gosh. No, yeah, with shovels. But, yeah, that's, that's what happened. Mole people. So, hmm. Almost nine years later, in 1803, Daniel came across a businessman named Simeon Linz. He told Simeon about the money pit. Simeon was so intrigued about Daniel's story that he decided to form a company called the Onslow Company. This company, along with Daniel and Simeon, went back to the money pit and they resumed digging, except this time with better equipment. At the 40, 50, and 60 feet, they continued to find rows of logs, coconut fiber, and putty. Then at the 80-foot mark, they encountered a chamber in a row of plain oak logs sealed with putty. Then at 90 feet is when they found something that was very strange. A large, flat stone with cryptic lettering etched across it. They translated the mysterious cipher, which said, 40 feet below, 2 million pounds are buried. So, of course, the workers were pretty excited and continued digging. However, within minutes, they ran into a problem that has plagued Oak Island excavations ever since. Water. The shaft that they were digging in started to have water slowly seep through its soil. This became so bad that the workers were removing two buckets of water for every bucket of soil. This slowed down the excavation considerably. At the depth of 98 feet, the crew hit what sounded like another oak platform, but since it was almost nighttime, they stopped working. The next morning, when they got back to continue the excavation, the workers were horrified to find that the entire pit was filled up with water. What did they expect? No. They had to have known. <laughs> it's like, don't, come on. Don't move the soil, the water won't come in. It'll stop with us. Oh, gosh. They decided to move 14 feet to the side of the water money, water-filled money pit and start digging. They dug 110 feet down and attempted to create a side tunnel towards the original shaft. Only two feet away from their goal, water once again poured through the walls of the side tunnel. The new tunnel was as waterlogged as the first. Simeon's team decided to give up. That's got to suck. Critters. That has really got to suck. It keeps getting worse, too. It just keeps getting worse as the history comes on. There's one part where I'm like, oh, it's so good. I know. You're telling me when I watch the show, I'm like, there's always something. I was going to say, they never thought about putting like a hose down there and sucking the water out? It's, we'll get, I'm sure we'll get into the flood tunnels or the, there's. Oh, yeah, okay. there's a reason why this is happening. Yes. Damn, people were smart, gotcha. man. The f following the Onslow expedition, the strange site on Oak Island lay undisturbed and submerged beneath volumes of water for nearly 40 years. Then, in 1845, a member of the original dig, Anthony Vaughn, the Truro Company. So this company recruited an impressive collection of qualified and respected individuals, as well as Simeon Lunds from the Onslow Company. Now, even though the Truro Company was formed in 1845, they did not start the further exploration of the money pit until 1849. So in the summer of 1849, the team arrived at the site and continued where the Onzo Company left off, and they were removing water from the money pit. After two weeks of laboring against the debris in the water, of this pit, the crew achieved a depth of 86 feet. Then the crew also had discovered more layers of wood, and for the first time, 
layers of loose metal. They also discovered what looked like bits of an old watch chain. At this point, everyone really started to believe that they were close to the treasure. They decided to push forward and dig further. However, once again, water began pouring into the shaft. The team began to get curious as to where this water was coming from. They decided to excavate a nearby beach and made a startling discovery. They found a system of five carefully constructed drains that fed water into a sump and then down a 500-foot tunnel directly into the money pit. That digging that was being done in the money pit had broken a seal in that pit, and that was causing the water to run into it at a rate of 600 gallons a minute. Since the water was coming directly from the ocean, it was absolutely impossible to keep the money pit drained. At this point, the crew gave up. I don't blame them. I don't know. You got to feel pretty defeated. Yeah. I would have been wondering who the hell created those tunnels. Right. You're finding a possible treasure that's been very smartly dug in sections and what now seems to be booby-trapped. And this is in eight, the 1800s. Yeah. When was this done before? And how smart were people back then to be able to think to do all this? And dig it all without excavation equipment? Aliens. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, they built the pyramids, so... Or giants did. Yeah, either or. <laughs> all right. So in the spring of 1861 the next group of hopeful treasure hunters were formed. They were named the Oak Island Association. This Oak Island Association came to an agreement with the property owner, Anthony Graves, that they would give him one-third of all findings. Immediately after this agreement was finalized, the group began working on the money pit. The group cleared the main tunnel down to 88 feet and excavated two parallel tunnels to 118 feet and another one 120 feet. During this time, there were no signs of water at all. The one 118-foot shaft was dug 18 feet west of the money pit, and the plan was at that depth, the excavators would begin tunneling east to access the supposed treasure at the money pit. However, just one foot from penetrating the money pit water flooded that access tunnel. This association got a pumping gin and used that to clear the watery path. After three days of trying to drain the shaft with no results, the company turned their efforts towards the other access tunnel, which was 25 feet away from the money pit. This is the one that they dug down 120 feet, and it had no signs of water. So the crew started to burrow horizontally from this new direction. Again, they made it just a couple feet away from the money pit, and that second tunnel, boom, flooded with water immediately. This didn't stop the crew from digging, though. The company installed a cast iron pump and steam engine to dispatch the water in the pit. Now, even with this new cast iron pump and steam engine, the company still struggled to drain the tunnel. They didn't know that the water was coming from the ocean. So, yeah, 
So they were cranking that iron pumping steam steam engine, just running at full throttle. And it was struggling. And during this struggle, a boiler exploded. It killed one operator and injured several others. Now, this fatality represented the first death inflicted by the money pit. But keep in mind, it wouldn't be its last. So despite this tragedy, the men of the Oak Island Association returned to the site over the next four years. Following the incident, much of the group's efforts involved locating and obstructing the feeder tunnels. So over the next four years, they found out, oh shit, there's these tunnels feeding in the water. We need to obstruct these so the shafts that we're digging down don't have water come in. Even though these attempts failed to produce results, there was no further loss of life among the ranks of the Oak Island Association. And in 1866, the company decided, F it, we ain't finding anything, we're relinquishing the rights to search for treasure at this site. No more. We're, we're done with it. All right. So fast forward to 1890. Someone had found a one and a half ounce copper coin on Oak Island. Now, even though this copper piece was found outside of the money pit, it still struck up a ton of excitement in the community. Two individuals named Frederick Blair and S.C. Fraser heard about this copper coin and decided in 1893 to create the Oak Island Treasure Company. The company paid the landowner $30,000 to secure exclusive rights to all the treasure discovered on the property for the next three years. So after paying that giant lump sum to secure the exclusive rights, the Oak Island Treasure Company didn't have enough money to even purchase a pump. <laughs> wow. Who's the planner? <laughs> Who's the planner back then? Jesus. Sounds like they need a new financial advisor. Now, a pump, of course, was an essential piece of equipment because of all the water. Regardless, the group decided to start digging without one, which proved challenging. No shit. Every time the crew would dig a tunnel, it would fill with water. <laughs> to make matters worse, in September part. of 1895, the Attorney General of Nova Scotia told the Oak Island Treasure Company that even though you have paid for the exclusive rights to all the treasure found on the property, that any treasure acquired actually belonged to the queen. <laughs> Imagine that. You paid 30 grand back then to acquire the exclusive rights. You know how much that's worth? Okay, in 1913, 30 grand was worth like seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000. So 1895, probably a million, million bucks. That's insane. You better be paying me back my money is what I'd be thinking. Yeah. And they're like, nope, nope. It all belongs to the queen. I'd be like, fuck the queen, man. Mm -hmm. You have done so a great service to the queen by finding this treasure that makes her richer and you shit out of luck. Peasants. Yeah, fucking peasants. Of course, the crew was like, F this. And there was a big argument between the, the officials of Nova Scotia. And then finally, the officials agreed to claim only a portion of the riches recovered from the island. I wouldn't give them shit. Yeah. The company decided to continue drilling and was able to secure enough money to purchase a new pump. However, the crew quickly realized that the pump was a lemon and couldn't keep up with water flow. Despite this, the crew decided to continue drilling shafts into the terrain to try and find any treasure at all. Yeah, at that point they were like, we're just going to keep drilling in hopes that, I mean, we've already spent like a million dollars to acquire the rights. Might as well just d drill a whole bunch of holes to see if we find anything. Mm -hmm. huh. Try to get some money back, I guess. Yeah. So on March 26th, 
1897, a man named Maynard Kaiser was working in one of the many shafts that had been drilled into the terrain. As he was being hoisted to the surface, the ascension rope carrying Kaiser slipped from the pulley and he fell back into the shaft, which killed him. Number two. Number yeah. two. Directly after this incident, several crew members felt convinced that the treasure was either cursed or protected by a malevolent spirit. Despite this, they continued to drill. Now, this is where things get pretty interesting. The team decided to drill close to the money pit, and at around 126 feet down, they hit an impenetrable iron surface. The men moved their drill one foot from the initial hole and executed a second attempt. Here, the auger passed through layers of soft stone, oak, and a deposit that seemed to consist of loose pieces of metal. At a depth of approximately 153 feet, the drill again came in contact with what the team perceived to be loose metal. Beneath the supposed metal, the auger encountered the same iron barrier and could not descend further. When the drill returned to the service and the team examined what was extracted from the pit, at first... This appeared to be no different than any previous attempts that they'd had. Pieces of coconut fiber, oak splinters, and loose debris. However, the men continued drilling at the site, and that extracted debris was deported... Deported? <laughs> Get your ass back to America! <laughs> debris was transported to a courthouse in Amherst, Nova Scotia. A Dr. A.E. Porter started to examine the debris and made an alarming discovery. Among the dirt and rubble, he found a piece of parchment paper with the letters V.I. written on one side of the material. Along with the parchment paper, drill operator William Chapel found traces of gold sediment on the auger after drilling in the same hole. William Chapel however, didn't tell the crew or company about his findings until later, which we're going to discuss in a minute. So the company continued its efforts on Oak Island. They transitioned from Oak Island Treasure Company to the old Gold Salvage and Wrecking Company in 1909. Despite the increase in capital and experience, success eluded them throughout the early 1900s. So then in 1931... The founder of Oak Island Treasure Company, Frederick Blair, still maintained the rights on the money pit. That drill operator we talked about earlier, William Chapel, the one who found the traces of gold and didn't tell anyone, well, he wanted to drill on the island, so he went to Frederick Blair and asked him if he could. Frederick was hesitant until William told him about the traces of gold that he initially kept a secret. The two came to an agreement and Frederick signed on with the new expedition under Williams Company called Chapels Limited of Sydney, Nova Scotia. Just company after company coming out of this. Yeah, yeah. I just they just continue and continue. Well, they want their name on that uh, discovery, you know? Yeah. So in 1931, the two men along with Chapel's brother, son, and nephew began work. Right off the bat, the group found themselves having issues. The first problem they faced was figuring out which hole in the ground was actually the money pit. <laughs> so, mistakenly, the team ended up drilling approximately six feet south of the money pit. 
the duration of this chapel's expedition was short-lived. It was only one active digging season that they were doing it for. However, the team was able to make several astonishing discoveries during their brief stay. All between 115 and 130 feet deep in their new shaft, the men recovered an anchor flute sunk into the side of the tunnel, an implement resembling a 250-year-old Acadian axe, a miner's pick, and the remnants of an oil lamp with seal oil. Now, adding to the intrigue of the site, they also located a triangular formation of stones situated along the south shore of the island. Now, despite these finds, just like we said, in 1932, Chapels Limited had wasted 40 grand on the project and had no funding left. They lost their lease and was forced to suspend operations. So, three years later, in 1935, a man named Gilbert Heaton had purchased the eastern portion of Oak Island and had arrived to an agreement with Frederick Blair, securing access to the money pit. Gilbert began his expedition in 1936 and hired Sprague and Henwood, Inc. of Pennsylvania to undertake the pumping and excavation. Sprague and Henwood used electric turbine pumps to remove seeping water as they re-excavated and reinforced Chapel's shaft just south of the money pit. Now, similar to Chapel, the shaft only produced disappointment as the 1936 attempt ended with Gilbert leaving empty-handed. However, they did come back the following year, in 1937. They uh, burrowed down one of the many auxiliary tunnels. The team stumbled upon a number of fascinating items, including uh, a miner's oil lamp with well oil and unexploded dynamite at 65 feet. I mean, at that point, I'd pretty much be like, whoa, if we're coming across unexploded dynamite, I'd be afraid I'd hit some more. I'd fucking light it and just let it dig the hole itself. (laughs) So at the depth of 93 feet, they unearthed clay putty not previously found on the island. Now, although these fascinating items were discovered, they did nothing to help with the cost. Just like the previous company, uh, at the end of 1937, Gilbert's operation had spent over $50,000. In 1938, he halted his drilling campaign completely to concentrate on business matters. Damn. And it seems like this would keep happening and happening and happening. Well, the next thing that happens is... I don't want to say interesting because... Well, it is interesting, but it's kind of... uh, insensitive to what actually happens so dan do you want to tell us about this family yes sir in 1959 a man named robert restall had negotiated a deal and was given full rights to the money pit in exchange for 50 percent of whatever was found man that other guy got screwed huh yeah (laughs) robert took eight thousand from his family family savings and began the excavation his son joined him, and by the July of 1960, the two had managed to remove water from the main shaft to a level not seen in decades. Later that year, the rest of the Restall's family moved to Oak Island to help in the excavation. Over the next five years, the Restalls dedicated their lives to Oak Island and the pursuit of the treasure. The family lived in two primitive cabins with no running water, 
Their fresh water was gathered from snow melt and rain collected in a depression left by a dynamite blast many years ago. <laughs> That's what I would have done. At times, they would visit the mainland for supplies. On Tuesday, August 17, 1965, Robert had planned on driving to Halifax to pick up a few things. Earlier that morning, Robert and his son had been working on digging a new shaft on one of the beaches. Sometime after 2 p.m., as Robert peered over the edge of the tunnel to inspect his work, he began to smell a gas emanating from the pit. Robert then lost consciousness and fell into the watery shaft. When his son Bobby witnessed this, he ran in after his father, only to be claimed by the toxic fumes as well. Unaware of what was unfolding, two nearby workers, Carl Grazer and Cyril Hiltz, also rushed in to help. Both died as well. That's six. We're up to six oh, now. What's that gas called that's toxic? Well, they're saying that methane, nitrogen dioxide, and hydrogen sulfide are commonly found. Others theorize that a gasoline pump engine over the mouth of the pit had filled the hole with carbon monoxide. A fifth man was pulled unconscious from the pit and two others climbed to safety before they were overcome. Carbon monoxide, as little as 0.1%, can cause death within a few minutes. Oh, stink damp is the name given by miners to hydrogen sulfide because its characteristic smell of rotten eggs. Ugh. Yeah, no joke. That's the one in, like, cities or something where, like, if you... Walk outside or like walk past like the sewer and you smell rotten eggs. You got to call this number quickly. So I think it might be that hydrogen sulfide shit. Actually, I think it was like in Boston and stuff. They had it before. Had a problem with that. So 1965, that was when the sixth death happened. God, yep. four of them. Boom, boom, boom. This curse that seems poor, to be pretty accurate. That poor family, man. Yeah. And the, yeah. the people trying to help. Yeah. I watched a video of a guy drowning in, uh, not purposely of someone drowning, but it was like a video of a, it was an example of a safety video. And there was a person like in a lake and it was the middle of the day and there was a bridge right over the part where the guy jumped in and he couldn't swim. Another guy from the bridge jumped into the water and swam towards the guy. The guy started drowning and pulled, was freaking out and pulled the other guy down and they both died. It was a safety video. What a shitty safety video, huh? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it kind of worked because, I mean, kind of teaches you if you jump in after somebody, they're going to freak the fuck out. So I got to come up from behind like a cobra. Oh, so that's why they teach you to go behind and then you grab them. And, cause and swim out because if you go in front, they freak out and then they'll pull you down. So anyways, knowledge nuggets, life-saving knowledge nuggets. My brother knocked out a catfish with his fist one time underwater. Is that after he started doing his uh, arm wrestling techniques? No, he's always been ridiculously strong. Like, he had some like weightlifting uh, records. Yeah, he was ranked second in the nation for bench press for his body weight at one point. He was first in state for bench press for his body weight. Quick story. My brother was a nerd in ninth grade freshman year, right? He always got picked on, super skinny, goth. He hated life and everything. Uh, we were poor. My grandfather had like a shop that had no AC. It was the middle of the summer of Texas. 
he had like a bench press, weights to curl, and a speed bag. And my brother went out there the entire summer after his freshman year and worked out nonstop from morning to sunset. And my mom would have to yell at him to come in to eat dinner. And this kept him lean because he was always sweating out there. And all he would do would drink water and work out all day long. Pretty sure it wasn't healthy. But dude, he came back because he hit a growth spurt. But he was working out during that growth spurt. He came back and people were like, who the hell are you? Because he got his hair cut. And it, instead of like fucking gothic hair, he had like spiky hair. And dude, he was jacked. And uh, yeah, ever since then he had been working out. But he quit working out uh, for a little while. But then got back into it here recently. But. I don't know why that story, you can just take that story completely out. I had no idea where I was going with it, what it has to do with Oak Treasure Island. I don't know. Anyways, let's talk about, let's talk about Robert Dunfield. Sounds like that story could have been part of Cobra Kai. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did your grandpa's shop was actually Cobra Kai, like dojo? It was. I was a sensei. I went inside there and slapped him and ran. That's how I got so fast. Oh, makes sense. So, just over one month before the tragedy that claimed the lives of those four men, Robert Restall signed an agreement with investors and geologist Robert Dunfield. After Robert Restall passed away, Dunfield assumed control of operations at the island. Rather than make small incisions at strategic locations, Dunfield's approach involved a much more dramatic uh, feel. He first ordered two bulldozers to clear 12 feet from the surface of the money pit and spread the removed clay as a way to clog any feeder tunnels that were causing the flooding in that money pit. Dunfield also ordered a causeway to be built connecting the west end of Oak Island to the mainland. This was done so that Dunfield could have a way to transport even larger excavation equipment to the site. So on October 16th, 1965, the causeway was finished. Within weeks, the geologist had brought a 70-ton digging crane to Oak Island and was preparing to excavate at a scale never before seen at the, at the site. The month following the crane's arrival, Dunfield and his crew dug in. Assisted by the modern equipment, the team removed a 140-foot deep by a hundred foot wide crater from the money pit. Holy smokes. Dude, he got serious with it, huh? Oh yeah. Big go big or go home, they were thinking. Well, the team did uncover small shards of porcel- porcelain dishware, but consistently struggled against heavy rains. So in November of 1965, Dunfield suspended work for the season His accrued expenses at that point were $60,000. They just keep going up every person. That's some cheddar, man. Mm Mm-hmm. Immediately after New Year's Day of 1966, Dunfield returned to Oak Island. Despite having spent countless hours and dollars excavating the main tunnel, he demanded that the money pit be refilled to create a base for the drilling company. Once his men had finished filling the gaping cavity, Dunfield began taking core samples at greater depths. He drilled four separate six-inch holes to a depth of 190 feet into the money pit. From this investigation, 
he concluded that at approximately 140 feet, a wooden platform obstructed the tunnel. Below the timbers was a 40-foot chamber, void of any material. This empty space was followed by bedrock. Intrigued by his findings, Dunfield sent the core samples to the University of Southern California to undergo chemical analysis. Dunfield kept his results confidential and announced that he intended on continuing a large-scale drilling operation in the main tunnel. After excavating several locations across the island, he was unable to find anything more than the previous shards of porcelain and core samples. So in April of 1966, Dunfield left the project and returned to California. Dang. I would just feel so incomplete and I could not let it go. So in 1969, friends Daniel Blankenship and David Tobias formed the Triton Alliance Limited. This new company was granted permission to drill on the island. The company wasted no time and began drilling various boreholes around the island. In January of 1971, a borehole named 10X that was 27 inches wide and 165 feet deep had recovered fragments of broken concrete as well as pieces of metal chain and wire. The team decided to lower down a camera into the watery shaft. The lens relayed grainy yet dramatic images back to the observers at the surface. The video camera eventually went into a cavity that was carved out of bedrock. Within the stone chamber were what appeared to be a severed hand, a corpse, and several treasure chests. Over the next month, the Triton Alliance initiated approximately 10 diving excursions into the hole However, uh, no treasure was ever extracted. The company spent the following years excavating locations across Oak Island. Then in 1983, a legal battle erupted between the Triton Alliance and the owner of the island. After the years of legal battles combined with the stock market volatility of 1987, this caused much of the uh, activity surrounding the money pit to halt. What sucks that I think about is when they initially did those drill holes and they bring up the parchment paper and then the guy drills and gets gold on there. What did he drill into? What important treasure is either underwater or drilled into now? What if that was the Ark of the Covenant? I don't know. It's interesting, man. It's, it's pretty crazy. All right. Um, so let's jump to 2006. Uh, majority of the island was sold to brothers, brothers Marty Lagina and Rick Lagina from Kingsford, Michigan, who, along with Blanketship, formed Oak Island Tourism. In 2009, the Oak Island Tourism Society voted to dissolve the organization, citing their inability to open a tourist center that would have been dedicated to the money pit. So then uh, in early of 2014... The History Channel debuted a reality television series called The Curse of Oak Island. Now, this television TV series we've been talking about, you know, uh, Anna has. It documents the efforts of, you know, the current island owners, Marty and Rick, and their attempt to discover the treasure located on the Oak Island. It also talks about, like, the history of the treasure and uh, all that stuff. So, do you want to? 
talk about stuff that they've found so far from on the Discovery Channel. I, I couldn't really find any see I couldn't find any details if they've found anything or not. They definitely have. And actually I realized there's a main guy we didn't talk at all about, and that was Fred Noland. He was also a a landowner on there who had a kind of rivalry with Blankenship. And then um he ended up passing away and he gave all of his findings to Rick and Marty. Well, he sorry, he gave them to his son, but his son is now working with the Laginas. And they've, because the island was split, so they couldn't excavate certain parts. And there's, God, there's so much more to this, you guys. There were rocks found on the island that form a cross. And that cross has helped them find other parts of this island. All of this you can see on the History Channel. This, there's five seasons of this show. So for us to do it all, we couldn't add it all. But... They go into great detail. They have found, so they have an, a crew with them. They have a metal detector guy. Uh, they found some coins. I wish I had exact what it was. It's been, I'm not going to lie, a year since I've watched the show. They were on break, and I've just been a little bit behind. They have found mining axes, more than one, on the swamp, which again, we didn't even get into. There is a swamp on the island that is a triangle shape, and it doesn't belong. Everyone has always thought it was man-made. Well, when you looked at the island from bird's eye view, it actually looks like they're two separate islands. And the theory goes is that the pirate or the people who put the treasure on the island, they took a ship and put it between the two islands and then closed off each side and sunk the ship that was full of treasure. And then in the show, you'll see that they start doing some sonar and they actually did find a wooden ship shape underneath the swamp. They found more parchment paper. They found leather that was used in book bindings back in the day. Oh, they found bone, human bone. Because the whole reason the curse they believe is in effect is because when one of, they were building the tunnel and the chains that they found and the concrete is because they tied up a person down there to die and protect the tunnels. It was like a slave or a worker of the tunnels and they left them there. And they believe that the bones that they found was that person who was left behind. That's rough, man. Yeah. That's yeah. really rough. Um, they have dug many more holes. They have excavations have gone from, like they said, the six inch drilling holes to six foot wide holes, where, of course, they keep coming into contact with water and they're trying to figure out the path that they go because they go to the box drains. And in the most recent season, they actually make a coffer dam around where the box drains go into the water. So that way, the only water going into the box drains is what has been... Oh, sorry, for any of you guys that don't know what a coffer dam is, because it's the ocean, you obviously can't stop the ocean. So 
they put these metal sheets of water in the ground that are like walls, and they create like a semicircle around to the shoreland, and then it created a barrier to leave any water from getting in that wasn't already in. And then they were trying to figure out where these box drains went. And they even put dye down these holes to see where the colors came out of. Because more than one of these holes on the island had water in it. And they were trying to figure it out. Um, and they found way more things on this on the, the part where all the box drains are. They actually found platforms that showed where they would have uh, rolled either ships through or large amounts of like heavy treasure like where they had to have a wagon to get it across the cobble and stuff as they've not figured out how to get the water out the money pit yet they've even put a diver an actual person down in the hole to go to the bottom and be inside of the chamber that where everything's at but of course when they're digging and putting these boreholes in and stuff, it makes the sediment just come up. And it's the visibility was horrendous. Uh, so, honestly, I won't spoil any more of the season. You guys need to watch it. It is addicting and frustrating at the same time. They've definitely found artifacts that show that there were people that came to this island and... They've not found gold per se, but they've showed evidence that there's treasure on this island. I remember, I think I watched a couple episodes a while back, but I remember Rick being, is Rick or Marty, one of them, or maybe both, being upset at the guy who came and completely like plowed everything in like, what was it, the 60s? Yes. And he was the one that kind of screwed up things on the island big time. At least I think yes. that's what I remember. But One, the, a problem that they come across as well is that they have to get permits for a lot of things because where they can't pump the swamp, or they couldn't for a long time, because they can't just pump it into the ocean because it's not salt water. And, but they need to drain it to get to the ground in it. And then... They only have, their permits are only good for so long, and the wintertime comes cl fast there, so they're trying to get through everything. Um, I actually found a list of what they found on this island. Uh, for coins-wise, they have found, the two of the oldest are believed to be an 11 Maravitas dated 1598, found by a student on the beach at Smith's Cove which is where the cofferdam is and the box drains. And that was found in 1965. And then a similar 8 Maravitas circa 1600 was found in the swamp in 2016. It should be noted that Spanish money was often used in Nova Scotia's early days owing to the trade which existed with the Caribbean. There were drill holes in stones that were like markers to let people, like, probably boats know where to go at the time mm -hmm. uh nolan's cross is what they call those boulders so it's it's and it's spread out too you'd have to look at a bird's eye view to know there's six large boulders that are found on the inland and they were found by a searcher by fred nolan that we didn't really get to talk about much today 
but the overall dimension of the cross is 360 foot wide by 867 foot tall. And it said it's been speculated as to the purpose from simple boundary demarcation lines to some rather complex geometry from Templar connections. Yeah. Which we'll get into shortly. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. So I, I guess that rolls us into Strange Facts and Findings. Mm-hmm. So our first Strange Fact and Finding, Richard E. Byrd. So we all remember talking about Rear Admiral Richard E. Byrd in previous episodes, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, if anyone had missed that one, Richard E. Byrd was an American naval officer and explorer. He was a recipient of the Medal of Honor, which is the highest honor for valor given by the United States. Also, Richard Byrd was a very important pilot for the Navy. He led an expedition over Antarctica. When he came back from there, he was noted saying that there are strange flying objects coming from the center of the Earth. Anyways, why do we mention him? Well, he was an investor in Oak Island and monitored its exploration status for many years. He had a friend who also monitored the status of it. Who was this friend of his? President Roosevelt. Which brings us to our next strange fact. Yeah. So before Franklin Roosevelt actually became the president of the United States, his grandfather was actually a financer for one of the companies who were looking for treasure on Oak Island. You know, like one of those billions of companies that were on there. So as a young boy, Franklin's grandfather would tell him stories about treasures being buried there on Oak Island. So in 1909, at the age of 27, Franklin Roosevelt joined the company of Old Gold Salvage and Wrecking Company. Now, at the time, he had already graduated from Harvard. Uh, So he spent that summer off the shores of Nova Scotia, hopeful in finding these treasures. And uh, according to a written correspondence, uh, President Roosevelt nurtured an interest in the Oak Island mystery well into his presidency. In a letter to a friend, the president said that he planned on returning to the island, but of course he was prevented from doing so, you know, by the outbreak of war in Europe. So those are two strange facts and findings. You got Richard E. Byrd, and then you have President Roosevelt, who was there. So, Mm -hmm. and his grandfather being a financer for it. Yeah. Whew. And they aren't the only financers. Anna, don't you have some other finances for us? Yeah, for sure. So there was uh, actor Errol Flynn and John Wayne. They both invested in Oak Island treasure digs, providing funds and drilling equipment. William Vincent Astor, heir to the Astor family fortune after the death of his father on the Titanic, was also an investor. Yeah, prominent people. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did just link to you on this page. This is amazing, this Oak Island mystery page. So it talks about the different treasures believed to be on here. And I was like, we haven't talked about the Knights Templar. And that's like so huge in here. You find the Templar cross in so many uh, findings at Oak Island. And so we'll link the oakislandmystery.com so you guys can dig into each of these. Because there's so many. I mean, it talks about the crown jewels of France. Inca, Maya, and Aztec treasures being there that the Spanish conquistadors used as a dropping space for their treasures when they were at sea. 
but the Knights Templar were are ones that come up a lot in the show. Like my personal theory is that it has more to do with the Knights Templar uh, as well. But the legend has it is that many of the Templars f- fled to Scotland to take refuge there. They took a lot of priceless religious treasures, including the Holy Grail from their sanctuary at the Fortress of Montsegur, a book by Michael Bradley entitled Holy Grail Across the Atlantic, which presents enticing evidence that such an event occurred. They have the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant we've talked about being there. So another thing that happened to show that the Templars were connected to this land was that the Templars, the Templar order continued in Portugal as the, the Ordem Militar de Cristo, which is the military order of Christ. The Portuguese king, Denis, we talked about him today. Denis I, Denis I, we talked about him in our Lost Treasures episode. Mm-hmm. Oh man, connecting, connecting. Okay, I need to go back and see what his treasure was now. He refused to follow the orders of the Catholic Church and instead merely changed the order's name. The Portuguese explorer, oh God, João Alvarez Fangundes, was said to have visited Nova Scotia around the year 1521. And then in 1607, Samuel de Champlain found an old moss-covered cross near what is now Advocate Nova, Nova Scotia, which some believe was erected by Fangunde 80 years earlier. So... There, when you start watching the show, they have just an immense amount of connections to the Knights Templar to a point where they go, uh, maze is a huge thing that they find, uh, when they go to like, oh, where, where I'm, it might have been Halifax. It might have been a little further than that, but there are underground tunnels that are built that are similar to the way that stuff is built on Oak Island. And there is, maize is corn, but back then they called it maize. And that's what they find associating those two together as well. I mean, it's a wealth of knowledge. It's overwhelming. Just go watch the show after you've heard this. This, I think what we did here is quite amazing because even though I've watched the show every freaking episode, I didn't know this much of the backstory. They do a meeting at the end of every episode in the war room that goes over what they found in that, uh, basically in that episode. I give it a five out of five. Great show. So remember Gilbert Hedden, who we spoke about earlier in the history part? Uh, he started his digging in 1935 with the help of Sprague and Henwood Incorporated. And then he quit in 1939, those guys? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, despite abandoning excavation efforts, Gilbert has said to uncover something very unique that he decided to keep a secret. He wrote British royal and fellow Freemason King George VI about his findings. And the Freemasons are also brought up a lot because the Knights Templar, they're basically one and the same. Yeah. So, um, it just, it just goes along with everything. Honestly, it just transitions into today time. And especially if like you were talking about in the other episode about how 
the elite hold on to all the important stuff of the past, and now we see if the Freemasons are connected, and a lot of people believe that the Freemasons are involved in the elite society of the world, then it would just be furthering the suspicion that they were doing it even back then and continue to do it today. Yeah. Well, we already kind of went over this next one. I mean, we've been talking about it, the death rumor about the curse being placed on it and people dying. And I found a picture of the memorial of the six people who have died there. And I posted a picture and we'll have that picture up on our site. But I also wonder if Dan Blankenship doesn't count as number seven. No, I don't think he does. You don't? I mean, he spent his whole entire life looking for this treasure. I think it's got to do with you have to be actively digging and an accident happened. I don't know. I guess we'll see in this next season if they finally figure it out. It's like every time by the end of the season, they're like really about to do it. And then the snow comes. I'm like, damn it. So the next thing we have for Strange Fact is the ancient stone. Reports of the size of this stone found in 1804, about 80 to 90 feet deep into the money pit, between about 2 to 3 inches long by 12 to 16 inches wide. It was said to resemble dark Swedish granite and to have an olive tinge. It was not a stone common to the area, though. Yeah, and that's the stone with the inscription of the billions For, or 40 feet below yeah. 2 million pounds are buried. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. Pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. And I think that that stone went missing, if I'm not mistaken. The Smithsmodium? Oh. <laughs> Smithsmodium. <laughs> yeah, it did go missing. Um, I mean, I tried looking up, try to find details about it, but the only thing really is, is there's no tracings or anything or rubbings of the original to have survived even though, like, a lot of people said that they had viewed this stone while it was in the home of the Smith family. Um, but the stone was last seen in the window of a Halifax merchant where it was being displayed in an effort to, uh, to stimulate interest in a sell of shares. So, the Smithsodian. Smithsmodian. Smithsodian. Smithsmodian. They, they came in and snagged that real quick and didn't tell anybody. More than likely. Yeah. So I guess that, does that take us to theories? It does. That was the final one. Final strange fact and finding. All right. The first theory be that of pirate treasure, also known as the booty. Yes, read it just like that. The whole thing. The most common theory as to what's at the bottom of the money pit on Oak Island is that Captain Kidd, with two Ds, buried his vast fortune there just prior to his capture in Boston in 1699. However, uh, some believe that Kidd might have conspired with Henry uh, Every... Henry Every? Is that Henry Every? Is that, his real, is that his real name? Henry Every. That's his fucking name. Also known as Henry Avery. Conspired with Henry Every, or also known as Henry Avery, to use Oak Island as a type of community bank between the two. Now, there's also some theories that, uh, that some even believe that the notorious pirate Blackbeard buried his treasure there due to him boasting that his treasure was hidden in a quote where none but Satan and myself can find it. 
and we talked about him in the uh, uh, Patreon episode. We did. So, yeah, Lost Treasures Patreon episode. Go check that out. We talk about Blackbeard in it. Arr. We talk about them all. Arr, the booty. Oh, booty. That's so crazy. Yeah. The connections. They're real. Yeah. I know we touched on the Knights Templar just a minute ago, but... Uh... So when they were fleeing prosecution in Europe, the knights may have stored away the Holy Grail like we talked about. And there's two pieces of evidence to support this. First is the formation of rocks on the island when connecting by the lines, which I sent you guys a link to that, done on a map of the giant Christian cross that's 250 meters long. Secondly, Henry Sinclair a suspected knight arrived in the area in 1398. You could see Nolan's cross on there. All right, so going back to the Templars again, because it's really hard not to talk about them, to be honest, because it's they are so connected to this island. So the, Templar, the Templars from 1129 to 1312 were one of the wealthiest and most powerful organizations in Europe. Members of the order were revered as skilled fighters during the Crusades and other members for their economic prowess and the innovative financial techniques that they were introducing. Templar power was ultimately their undoing when King Philip IV of France, who was deeply indebted to the order, ordered the arrest of key Templar leader leaders on Friday, October 13th of 1307. The Pope followed suit on November 22nd, issuing a decree that all Templars be arrested and their assets seized. Yep. Damn. So what better way to hide your stuff on an island? And think about it. These things are 200 feet deep. How did they do it? And on top of that, the, okay, yes, they dug by hand. Obviously, probably at an angle to what they had to get to or whatever it was. But then they go and build a box drain system as a booby trap. How many mistakes did they make? Or was it a one-time deal? I, still to this day, they don't know where the box drains all go to. And they could easily drill a hole and it collapse because of a flood drain that's there. Mm. Pretty cray-cray. It's intense, man. It's great stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. What other theory do we have? We have one theory is that a damaged Spanish galleon loaded with treasure may have stopped off at Oak Island to do repairs and store its cargo of treasure, say, from pirate attack, so that it could be picked up later on the voyage back to Spain. But that doesn't explain the the systems that were built on the island. I'm a more believer that it was a nice Templar. If that was anybody, you know, they had the people and the smarts to do it. Not saying that mm-hmm. the Spanish didn't. I'm just saying that they, there was a lot more, yeah. you know, this just, rather than just one Spanish galleon. Like, oh, we're just going to drop off one shipload of, you know, fucking treasure, but let's build this intricate fucking trap on this island. Yeah, another theory is very similar to the Spanish Galleon theory, but it's the Inca and Maya, and it's basically they were being plundered by the Europeans in the 17th and 18th century, 
Um, and they may have moved some of their treasures north to Oak Island. Just like, I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I, I honestly would believe that all of this is true. Yeah. That, I mean, their timelines don't all overlap. But I think that the majority of the treasures hidden on this island came from the Knights Templar. It's the way that they created signs. The Templar cross is on so many different things there. They actually found a pendant that was a Knights Templar. And the more I've watched the show, it just has made me feel very strongly that that's what it was. And they have found Spanish coin on there. And I... That doesn't mean that it was the Spaniards. It just meant that the treasure was there or that somebody carrying that money was there. Yeah. But as we talked about in the Lost Treasures episode, the conquistadors did a lot with treasure hunting or stealing treasures and and taking it places. And it would not surprise me if they did stop off in Nova Scotia to hide some stuff. The island's small, but yet it's pretty big. Could you imagine popping off on the island real quick and the Knights Templar have holes dug and they're like excavating the Smith's Cove and stuff? And like, what the f- What's going on here? Do they kill him or do they ask him to join the masonry? Probably force him to join. <laughs> yeah, force him to Oof. dig. Yeah. And then that's one of the people that were left in the, t- in the, uh, down in the mine as the curse. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our own personal thoughts and theories. I have a theory, but it's not the one I, not the one I wrote down. Oh. <laughs> I have a theory. You know, Dunfield, how he, he's the one who did the, 140 or the 190 uh he drilled four separate six inch holes at a depth of 190 feet into the money pit Mm. right and then he uh he found a empty space a void a 40 foot chamber of void of any material and then he's the one that also sent core samples to the university of southern california and kept his findings confidential and announced that he was going to continue large-scale drilling operation And then all of a sudden, in 1966, he left the project and returned to California. I think he found it. I think he found everything, didn't say a fucking word, took the shit, and went back to California with him. How'd he get it out? With, by himself and paying the people off that helped him? I don't know. But if he had, he only drilled six-inch boreholes. Well, originally, he had the 140-foot deep by 100-foot wide craters oh okay so you think he dug it up and then said fill the hole fill it up fill the hole up and then let's put on a show like we're digging holes Mm. and then send off some Mm. chemical analysis and then call it good i mean that'd be smart throw people off your trail act like you didn't really find it you found something but not anything big yeah okay that's good Mm. yep But there's also another theory I have uh, that is just a fishing area that was hyped up. Now, why I say this is that there is a Norman Cod fisherman in the Discovery of North America history book that talks about 
a fishing station in the area that was used by many people over the centuries. Um, the coast of Nova Scotia were used by fishermen in the summer for more than a century before permanent settle- settlements in Nova Scotia. Um, the fishermen there made a bed of stones on a large flat area, and the cod that they caught were laid there flesh side to the sun to dry it. Um, so there's also many other small islands around Nova Scotia with small flattened piles of rocks, usually on the south side of the island. Uh, and these rocks match the description of what was found by Daniel McGinnis. I think there was uh, weird built things by the fishermen to help them fish. And there was some people that came there intrigued by the rumors, and it was just a built-up rumor thing that kind of ran out of control, and that's that's what happened. But I don't know. That's just that's just a theory. Okay, don't yell how'd, at me. How did the box trains get there, Aaron? They built him with their fishing tools. <laughs> All right, guy, you take that fishing pole over there, and you start digging. They built him with the fishing poles. Yeah. You take that lure right there. You hit the ground multiple times. We'll get down there. Don't worry. Yeah, hell yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I can't. I can't go with the fisherman one. Uh, I mean, yeah, it might have been used like that, but that's definitely not. There's tre. There is for sure treasure on this island, or there was at some point. Whether, um, Dunfield found it or not, I don't know. But. There's for sure something on this island. So what do you think it is? If you had to put money on it. Me? Yeah. I think that it was a dumping ground. Sorry, I typed in ocean by Nova Scotia, and it's only giving me Nova Scotia area. It's just same map. Nova Scotia. Okay, so if you look at a map... If you were to be, you got Spain right across the ocean, you got the Spanish conquistadors there. If you were trying to flee your area, you have a lot of land that would probably be pretty easy for people to find. You're not traveling far enough to hide your treasure. But if you pop over the ocean, which isn't too far to Nova Scotia right across the way, you can have a nice little area. That's your own. Man, I'm just looking at all these uh, countries right here. And like the crown jewels of France, the Irish crown jewels that went missing. I know it's a far distance, but really it seems very close to be able to steal something and leave and be out of there heading to Nova Scotia before anyone really realized what was happening. It, It just seems like a good place to go. And with what the evidence has, that has been found on the island, it points very strongly to the Templar being a big piece of it. And their intelligence in constructing things and being so good at making and communicating and controlling stuff, why wouldn't they have been able to have the ability to build tunnel systems and... uh Tunnel systems that could get them to 200-foot depths, they are still around today, so you know that they would have been able to do generation after generation of people to go back to these islands to do this, because it would have taken some time. 
I, I would guess. Like, it wasn't just one time they stop at the island and they're like, let's dig all these, this crazy booby trap system. We have, there's treasure in more than one spot. The money pit was the focus of the hunting. But there have been other places on the island where you could see that there's depressions in the ground that looked like that's where treasure would have been at one time and it's been found since. So it's it's not just a money pit that's on this island, for sure. So I came across something interesting. Show us. Tell us. So the first known people to take up land on Oak Island were the New York John Gifford and Richard Smith, who were granted three islands in Mahone Bay in 1753 including the whole Oak Island itself. These two men listed their jobs as New York fish agents. They had said to use this as their fishing operation off the coast of Nova Scotia in the 1750s. So salt back then was essential. Napoleon's soldiers perished in Moscow in 1812 because of there's wounds not being able to heal because of the lack of salt. So there was like a big salt tax, right? So it was expensive. Well, how they used to make these fish is that they used to salt them, right? And they dry them and salt them and it would preserve them. So that <sighs> there's this theory that these two New York fishing agents, Gifford and Smith, were there in 1753 and built those what are they called that fucking box drains or finger drains the box drain things built mm -hmm. those as a way for them to collect salt and this this uh article states that they were following a very similar method used for hundreds of years in japan called channeled salt terence method Basically, is what happens is the water and the sand run up into the tunnels and then it comes back down and then the sun hits the tunnels and it dries the salt and they can collect the salt. And then these pits that people were finding were large racks that they have built. And these racks were every 10 feet that they made out of oak and they would lay their fish that they caught and use the salt collected and put them on these racks. And then over the years, right, but that doesn't explain the 1800s and they were digging. But it sounds good. It really does. I you had know. me going for a second, but then I'm thinking, like, if I made it... Like, they were enclosed sections, and that means every time you wanted to go back for your fish, you had to go and redig all those up. Yeah, it didn't make, doesn't make sense. But, I mean... I like what you tried to do there. It just it didn't work for me. Hmm. I was going off what they said. I tried to entertain that theory. You did. You did. Dan, do you have anything that you, it's like tickling your interest on what it could be? The owner of the island. The one that was charging people. What about? 30 to 40,000, 50,000, all that, to just give them permission. I honestly start to think, like, this guy knew there was treasure there. He probably already found some of it. Already kept it for himself, but knowing that if he took all of it, he wouldn't be able to sell rights, I guess, for people to come in for like periods of time to dig. 
So this was a way of, I guess, making money off of money. But then it makes me think this guy, the owner guy, was legit like a fucking jigsaw character. He set up traps. Wanna play he a set game? up traps to make it to where it wouldn't be easy to get the treasure. And it would sometimes deter people from continuing on so the next company or crew of people would come in. Like it is because like no mm. one's really questioned the owner of the island, really, it seems. Do you think that maybe since you know whenever the um that company came in and came to an agreement, the Ocas Island Association came to an agreement with the property owner, Anthony Graves, that they would give him one third of all findings in 1861. And then they left in 1866. And then from 1866 to 1890, no company was there. Do you think that in 1890, whenever somebody found that one and a half ounce copper coin on Oak Island? It started to back up again outside of the money pit do you think it was actually the property owner saying "Ooh, found a coin Dude. found a coin that is when frederick blair and sc frazier said "Ooh, there's a copper coin let's go pay thirty thousand dollars to secure exclusive rights and that person instantly became a millionaire i have treasure on my land somebody want to come pay me yeah, all you gotta do is rights. like find something and what is it uh that uh, commercial, he's having the fishing pole with a dollar on it. You got to be quicker than that. Just dangling it right there in front of you. It's like, you got to be quicker so than that. So pretty much, yeah, dangle a little piece, little piece of treasure. Be like, hey, look, that guy was here so many years ago and all that. But look, I'm finding stuff myself. And I'm not even really digging. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, you got that one company paid $30,000 just for the rights. Didn't have an ounce of equipment. Just came in there. Just no equipment. Just sorry. We'll just start digging. Try to do what we can. They must have known something like, like, oh, like there's treasure. You don't have to dig far for it. We're going to find something. And then like somehow they were able to amass, well, collect enough money to buy a pump, which even though it was a shitty pump, still. (laughs) So, I mean, they probably found something, you know, something the property owner probably just tossed out there. Like, eh, we'll just, I'll just put this here. It it honestly makes me think of uh, Forrester Finn, the thrill. Yeah. I can, I can get that vibe. Yeah. And we talk about him in the Patreon episode. So. Yeah, that's that's what I got from it. But, you know, I do believe there is treasure there. And it could be from Knight Templars, the Spanish, and all them. Because if you look at the location, like where Oak Island is, it is a nice little inlet. Then Oak Island itself is pretty much separated. You know, they could pull a ship right into that. Yep. All right, any of y'all got any more theories or thoughts or anything before we move on? It's the home of the reptilians. It's the friggin' reptilians. That toxic gas was there farting from underground. Oh, my God. (laughs) All right, so that's the end of the Oak Island mystery. Now we're going to go to this week's On the Scene report. If you're unfamiliar with On the Scene, it is where our On the Scene reporter Hans goes out to the public and gets their opinions and views on certain conspiracy theories. So we're going to take a listen to that. It is your boy, Hans, On the Scene. Good sir, tell me, tell me a conspiracy theory that a lot of people don't know about that you believe in strictly. Uh, I believe that the Titanic 
was set up by uh, another cruise line. Yes, cruise line. Um, I believe that they were stowed away with all levels <clears throat> of the ship from down to the bottom where the coal was and uh, all the way up to the uh, higher class. Uh, we see that some, even though it was male and, uh, children and females only being saved, that there were few men uh, in the lifeboats. I believe those are the ones that were on the mission to destroy the Titanic and sink his reputation with it. It's an interesting theory. Thank you for your time. No problem. Wow. That was a great on-the-scene report this week. Great theory. Yeah, I know. Uh, we had talked about that once, that possibly the Olympia actually sunk and the Titanic tried to use the insurance money. It was all an insurance fraud, basically. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for the on-the-scene report this good. week. Good theories. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I love it. All right, so now we're going to go to shout-outs. Uh, who wants to start first? Uh, I have one that involves, I believe, a Ouija board. They didn't specifically say, but I'm going to guess that's what it is. Let me... Yeah, it's a Ouija board. Okay, so Mako Pavelli commented on our Ouija board post on Twitter saying, I'll never forget playing with one as a kid and a figurine flew off the shelf and broke on the floor. Probably the scariest shit I've ever had happen to me. My buddy's mom ended up burning it, and it was banned from his house. Don't blame me there, dude. And then Jake. Not Jake Farm, but hey, Jake. Jake Farm, even though we don't like calling you that. He hates it too. I'm sorry, dude. Recently engaged, Jake. <laughs> uh, miss you, man. I hope everything's going well with you. Uh, this other Jake, Serbone, I am going to be sending him some stickers on Monday. He really wants a Bigfoot 2020 sticker. And since we still haven't figured that out for shipping costs and stuff, I'm just going to go ahead and send him some because he's asked so kindly. And then Johnny Wrestling, he said, thank you at Andy Complains for recommending TOT3K podcast to the wrestling community. I'm on my third episode and really enjoying it. Oh, I love that. Awesome. Okay. I appreciate them for shouting us out. And I love that two different communities can combine and share passions together. No, Aaron's happy about it. Um, a basically, Amy96. She busted out this old Berenstein bear toy and uh, showed me the bottom of it. And it is from 1984 and spelt with the A still, not the E. I was, and I told her, I was like, I still remember it with an E. Berenstein bears, not Berenstein bears. But that's impressive. She still has yeah. that toy. Wyatt. Good old Wyatt. Good old Wyatt. He said, hey, Anna. If you were a door, could I knock you up? Ooh. Uh, you know, Wyatt, I'm sorry, my friend. <laughs> I'm a queen of cheesy and dad jokes, but I that one wouldn't get me in. That door is Ooh. still locked, my friend. Wrong key, buddy. Wrong key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Let's see if there's anybody else I have here. Like we got some new followers. Uh George, Liv, Alex Mendoza, um, um Sean Connery. I can't believe he died. Wait, Sean Connery died? When? Yeah, dude. On Halloween. No shit. Yesterday. Yeah, ninety years old. Damn, he was ninety. Oh yeah, dude. One of our listeners said it's impressive because you never heard anything bad about Sean Connery. No, no charges against him. He made it through solid. Well, I was about to say that's awesome, but no, it's sad that he's gone. But it, it, it's weird too. Uh, a shout out. Hexbuck from Discord, you're awesome. I appreciate the conversation, dude. He loves coins. I love old coins, so that's been really awesome. Uh, Derek, dude, I know that you've told me how to say your last name, and it's so far in the chat that I don't even know anymore. Holiva. Holivo. No, okay, so Derek, <laughs> Holiv. D-Man. Dude, you are amazing. You are going to do exactly what you're trying to achieve. Just keep looking forward. I really, really honestly appreciated talking to you the other night. And I got some great stuff out of it. I know you did too. So I just want to make sure you know that I'm still thinking about you. And I know today's a big day. You got this. Uh, Well, today is... Sunday. By the time you hear this, it'll be Thursday. By then, I want to hear a report of how you've been doing. You know who I haven't shouted out in probably a really long time, if ever, and I just think he really deserves a shout out. Probably one of the most sarcastic assholes that I love so much on this freaking Discord. Jose, man. That man is always putting so much fun in in the chats. He goes rounds with people on there. He is a genuine dude, and I really appreciate him very much so. So, this one's for you, my friend. Tipping my hat to you. I tip my hat as well. Tipping it. Tipping it and tipping it and tipping it good. Yeah, he's he's helped me uh, pick out my first camera, my first actual mm-hmm. really good camera so yes hats off to you sir oh god yeah and our book club went amazing today oh my gosh i loved it so much um we have some new people in it but just some that were able to pop in today uh it's well lizzie b21 of course was there she's like the starter of it Cassie or Casey, I need to ask you which one it is because we had a debate on it before you got, or while you weren't there. So I've always said Casey, so I don't know anymore. Um, <laughs> just the esthetician, welcome to Discord. I know you just started, uh, but we're really looking forward to having you as part of the family. Slickers as well. Um, pandemic, you weren't there, but I know you were there in spirit. Zach Attack is back. Dude, I hope you had your baby, and that's why you're gone. Congratulations. I hope it was on Halloween, too. Uh, L, I know you were in the chat, too. You gave a lot of great insights to everything, and I appreciate that. Stony Tony. By the way, Daniel, son, 
I'm going to tell you. He's a man. You messed up and called him a girl in our ghost stories episode. I know it's a man. Yeah. Or I know he's a man, not it's a man. Yeah. <laughs> now you're really going to get him. I was, uh, you got to have fun messing with people. I know who Stony Tony is. Okay. Well, there he was also in there. Dale popped in. Uh, Aaron, you you came in. I was surprised. Came in and listened a little bit. Got a little bit of it. Oh, the whole thing recorded for about 20 minutes. Oh, you actually recorded it? I, I recorded everybody for about 20 minutes. Oh, I love that. He recorded it for me because I wasn't Daniel. able to join in. Daniel was like, record some for me. And I started recording and I hit 20 minute mark. And I was like, okay, running low on storage. Yeah, that's all you get in Daniel. You get 20 minutes. <laughs> that's okay. Damn. I feel like I'm missing somebody. Do you remember anyone else that was in there, Aaron? And I can oh, tell you everybody was... who's in there. Yeah. Oh, please do. So I'm going to make sure I got them. Dale, Ellie, Jesse, uh, Jess, the esthetician. 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 Uh, Lizzie B., Mr. G., and Stoney. Ah, uh, Mr. G., I knew I was forgetting somebody. Mr. G., the man who gave a very amazingly detailed story for our ghost stories right at the end. Yeah, dude, sorry. Don't know how I forgot you. But appreciate all your camouflage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I couldn't see him. I'm hoping that Casey, you're able to make it next time and slickers that you could talk next time. Uh, but otherwise, it was phenomenal. Great discussion. And I cannot wait till next week. So get your books if you aren't a part of the club yet. Dolores Cannon, The Three Waves of Volunteers and the New Earth. We're only one chapter in and we are just going. So jump on the board while you can. That's all I got for shout outs. I love you, Discord, and all you people. You are amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Dan, what do you got? Uh, I got a couple from Facebook. Got a uh, Brandon. He, uh, I don't know if I shouted him out last week. He sent me a video of, uh, one of Anna's spirit songs that she said, uh, what was that spirit song? Oh, you could dance if you want to. Oh, yeah. You could leave your friends behind. Because if your friends don't dance, and if they don't dance, then they're no friends of mine. Okay. It's, a, it's that song over a Drake video where Drake's dancing. <laughs> He's like, he saw that and he thought of pretty much you, Anna. Of course. Because of the Mandela Effect episode. But he, uh, he said, thanks for everything you guys do. I'm a truck driver and listen to multiple podcasts, and you guys are definitely in my top five. Yes. So I was like, hell yeah. Shout out to Bobby. He sent me a... Someone had a Bigfoot car uh, scent things. What are those? Air freshener, like car air freshener. Yeah, air fresheners. Yeah, someone had a Bigfoot one, so I'm I'm hoping it smells good and doesn't smell like a Bigfoot himself at times. <laughs> of course, shout out to Benji. Uh, and then Anthony, he messaged me and said best podcast ever. So thank you for that. That makes us feel good. Makes us want to keep doing the podcast. We we feel up on those comments, yep. but yeah, dude. Like the Discord, shout out to everyone on Discord. Y'all, y'all are fantastic. They're hands down, amazing community. Huge, so huge, huge in my heart. Now, like everyone gets a seems to get along. If I really haven't seen anybody really get into any heated arguments, 
Yeah. I got a couple Instagram messages or a couple Instagram shout outs. All right. Uh, I want to shout out Black Bob with Black Designs. Uh, thank you for shooting us messages and good theories. Um, Mike K. He sent us a message. He is a graphic designer. Also, I want to shout out Kaylee Dillon. Uh, somehow I missed her ghost story that she said she emailed to me. Um, I told her she'll she'll be on the next ghost stories. I apologize. I wanted to give her a special shout out. Says so she's awesome and I love her. And I'm sorry. Uh, another shout out is from is to Rocco S. He lives pretty close to me and said that there is a haunted place nearby. He gave me the details, told me a story about it up here in Maine, said I should check it out. And I told him I was going to and I was going to take my GoPro up there with me and do some filming and see if I could capture anything. So pretty excited about that. Also wanted to shout out Ben. Uh, he sent us a long message on Instagram about the Black Knight satellite, said he loved it. Well, you know what? I love you, Ben. Um, and there was somebody else that I wanted to shout out on Yahoo. It Or not on Yahoo, on email. Uh, we got an email actually three hours ago from El Mas Guapo. Um, he says, hey, guys, I'm sitting here smoking my blunt. And with me and my buddies, we started talking about different things theories and then I told them about the Black Knight satellite and then he came up with a personal theory about it. He said what if the Black Knight satellite is actually a storage bank of all the different genetic codes for all living life on earth and that it is actually responsible for all life on earth. It orbits around the earth keeping records of all life and simply waits for everything to die out either naturally or however you have it and in the end there would be no life and earth starts to reform itself. This is a process that takes billions of years, eroding away modern buildings and city structures. Once the earth is ready, the satellite then redistributes the first inklings of life, and then we start anew. And I'm like, damn, dude. El Masquapo, you got the you got the fucking theories, man. That's that's really good. I like that. So I wanted to shout that person out. You know what that reminds me of? That uh movie Titan AE. I don't know if y'all seen it. It's an animated movie. Mm -mm. So pretty much there's a big ship that was built and it was sent out long ago. And I think the father of the, or the son of the guy that helped create it ends up going looking for it, like Treasure Planet or some shit like that. And no, that's a totally different movie. One guy goes out looking for this thing that it will pretty much land on a planet or actually bring in all like the rocks and stuff and terraform a planet and then inside this ship it has the dna and stuff of every single creature and all that stuff on the planet to repopulate it so humankind can go to that planet to survive hmm. so there Get it that. is interesting mm -hmm. that's pretty cool it's interesting all right so that's all the shout outs i had for today i knew i know you guys have some patreon shout outs right well, I don't, mine's not Patreon. Well, I guess it kind of is. This is one that you sent to me specifically because she couldn't get a hold of me. Let's see if she put her name on here. No. Katie Sterling. So uh, she suggested us doing an episode on the Hempstead English kids, which I totally looked into them when we were doing our whole pedo stuff. 
we certainly have to do an episode on that. Um, I know you guys know what they are too. And then she suggested the canal carvings at the Hollydale house. She said that I found this site thanks to one of Chrissy Teigen's deleted tweets where she hashtagged the Hollydale. Make sure you dive into the section about their Halloween event. Last year's winners were listed and I was able to locate uh, one of them and the, one of the winners was a doctor. She found an old LinkedIn for her, found her on Instagram and Facebook accounts. Shit is crazy. I spent a solid four days, morning and night, researching and diving in. So, I, I pre- I've i not heard of this one. I've heard of the twins, or the siblings, but I've not heard of the Cannonau carvings. Cravings. The Cannonau cravings. How do you spell that? <laughs> C-A-N-I-N-A-L. Cravings? Yeah. At the Hollydale house. Spelled like the name Holly. Hmm. Yeah, that's something we're going to have to hook in, look into. All right. Um, what else do we have? Yeah, so we want to give a special shout out to Drake, a.k.a. Red-Blooded Patriot. You know who you are, man. Sorry, missed you. Shout out. Welcome. Well, let me get to the bottom of this because I have yet, after 70-some episodes, memorized this. All right. So I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you so much for your support. You are amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan and Anna, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. What's my line again? Because you're not alone. Ooh.